and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcasts. I am delighted to welcome David Dinwoodie and Jim Ritchie Dunham today to talk about creating flourishing and healthy ecosystems, one of my favorite topics. David, Jim, welcome to the show. Great to be with you. Yeah, thanks, Susie. It's great to, to be with you again. And hello, everybody. It's great to have you. I mean, I know you recently co-authored the article on the topic of leading healthy ecosystems in the Developing Leaders Quarterly, and I will put the link in the show notes so that our listeners can go and read it. But it gave great insights into this topic, but I know it's something you work on more regularly, more generally. David, you and your work, research and writing on strategy and leadership as a senior faculty member of the CCL and also in executive education. And Jim, you as the president for the Institute of Strategic Clarity, which is affiliated with Boston College and Harvard and where you carry out global research and writing on this very topic of abundance-based outcomes as opposed to scarcity-based outcomes, one of my favorite topics. I'm going to stop there. But but could I invite you both to just briefly introduce your work and why this topic is so important to you? Jim. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you. Yes, the thing that intrigues me is there's a, there are a lot of people, well, a lot of people talk about what we need to fix in the world. And what I see is from my position in the business school and public health and strategy is that people say they want to do something about these critical issues that we have, mm. but the way they go about it stops them from being able to do much. But yeah. then we've been able to find through research and, and practice that there are a lot of groups who are figuring out ways to do things. And so in, in our studying and working with them, we're starting to find all these practices that we'll be talking about today and frameworks and ways of looking at the world that do enable people to collaborate and, and, and start making some headway on some of these really challenging issues that we're facing. That's what's gotten me very interested of what do people who are doing something amazing um, and having fun doing it or working mm. hard doing it, what does that look like? And and how can we get more of that going on? And it turns out a lot of people want that. They just don't know how to do it. So Yeah. Excellent. Hold of- that thought. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> David. Yeah. And for me, I'm very similar to Jim. You know, my work is very much in the field of strategic leadership. So where strategy and leadership come together to create these flourishing organizations. And I think my passion from that comes from sort of anti-business school. When I studied, when I did the MEA program, right? And Jim and I studied this together. And I, I remember it was just drilled into us that resource is finite and resources mm. limited. And we need to find a way to protect the resources that we have and, and, and almost a fear-based approach to how we to manage our resource. And the reality is that that's not the case, right? There, there's yeah. abundant resource mm. and we need to learn to prioritize. We need to learn to how, to, how do we get the most of what we have and make the best of what we have. And, and bring people in into the strategy and leadership process that can contribute to that and help us flourish. And mm. we should feel like we're flourishing in the organization. Mm. Of course, we're there to achieve results and we're, we're there to make sure that the organization financially is, is sustainable mm. over time. And at mm. the same time, we need to feel good about that. In my experience is the better we feel about what we're doing, the more we contribute and the more the organization flourishes. Mm. So that's where, where I'm coming from. Of course. And I think it's a great point that, you know, business schools and executive education don't necessarily equip us today for that complexity, they equip us for more of the sort of predictable, sort of, as you said, finite, ordered world in Dave Snowden's sort of model, which is why I think today is really about actionable learnings that you've had on this topic. And which, let's be clear, it's still pretty nebulous, isn't it, for businesses and leaders today, but it's becoming an imperative for lots of different areas. So, David, can we start with strategy and ecosystems and I think that's the biggest challenge today for businesses, but also for leaders is how do you create a strategy and then lead that strategy to create these ecosystems that, that people need 
what do you see as the biggest challenge there if I take the sort of strategy lens? I know there are lots of lenses we could take and we'll try and take a few of them in the next sort of half hour. But what what do you think is the biggest challenge for strategy, creating a strategy for this? Yeah, so this might sound a little bit esoteric, but I think what comes to mind for me is that the biggest challenge is, is a mindset shift yeah. from a strategy perspective, right? Going from what, what we've all learned and, and you know been so focused on competitive advantage, gaining a competitive advantage. Mm. How can I sort of carve out something for myself that nobody else can, can get into and shifting that mindset to collaborative advantage? And, and in today's world, we're seeing this time and time again, this, this concept of an ecosystem of partnerships w- requires the collaborative advantage. You know, how can we mm-hmm. come together? How can we pull in the right players, the right partners contributing in the right way so that we create something that's going to be sustainable over time? Mm-hmm. And that's a major mindset shift. Yeah, and it, and it's, easy, right? it's a lot easier yeah. to focus on what's my little piece of the pie and how do I protect it as opposed to how do we do something a bit more expansive? So I would say from a strategy, when we start to think about the strategy formulation process, mm. think about where we are today, where we'd like to be in the future and thinking about it's not just about me and my organization, it's about where we want to be in the future, how we want to come together to do that. And I think that's the, it's a mindset shift. It's, it's, it sounds easy, but it's a little bit, tougher sometimes than we anticipate yeah it is and if I come back to what Jim was saying like nobody really knows what they're doing but they do things anyway so I think it's interesting then Jim to have a look at what they're actually doing Mm -hmm. and how much of it is linked to the strategic level of I'm going to take a longer term vision and a more holistic systems thinking vision and do something that I could call an ecosystem strategy what do you see them doing although it's in little bits I'm understanding that's fantastic. I think one of the big shifts when we look at, and it, well, in my own research, it took quite a while for us to let go of the paradigms we were coming in with to be able to start seeing what they were actually doing. Mm, so I, interesting. initially, we were trying to describe them from the truth that we knew. Mm. And, and we kept finding that we couldn't figure out what they were doing. But one of the key things to what David was just saying that we found is um, most organizations I see still believe that we know better than anybody else. We figured this out and we're going to do it for you. And what we find in these groups that are much more sustainable, uh, much more resilient, um, much healthier profit margins, operational and all that kind of stuff and engagement is they're not doing it for people. They're doing it with people. Mm. Recognize that we interact. In our interactions, we're doing stuff. And so I'm not worse off because you're good at what you do or you're healthy. I'm, I'm actually better off, and we'll get into that in a little bit. I'm actually better off if you bring something to the game. But then I have to ask, and then I have to inquire versus knowing what's right for you. Yeah. I'm not ever asking, um, which is what most still do. You know, be smarter, figure out the answer, scale it. And do- if you talk to people, that just makes things messy. Yes. Um, <laughs> versus we finding that, well, that also makes you unstable and unviable and un- lack of resilience. And these other groups are figuring out a very different way. So I think it's a key thing is to shift from it's not me doing it for you or to you, rather with you. And if you can do that, then what you start doing in the strategic process and the strategic content are completely different. Mm. And it sounds so simple when you say it. And it is simple to say, but that's quite a big mindset shift in itself, isn't it? To say to go from I know everything and I know what I'm talking about to how about I open the floor and ask you what you think? And, and maybe it's different from what I think. And maybe I don't know it all. So is that one of the differentiating factors for both of you? I mean, you you list quite a few in your article around the differentiating factors of creating viable and sustainable ecosystems. 
So I'm hearing the mindset shift. What else are you seeing, David? One of the things that I'm working with with, with in my clients that you know for many years we've been doing executive retreats together to sort of take a look at the strategy, think about the strategy, mm. and, and imagine what the future might look like. And now it's about reimagining the value chain from start to finish, right? Thinking you know farther, you know, going deep into the value chain, yeah, and, yeah. and realizing that that you know, across the the entire scope of of the value from my suppliers to our internal operations to dis- distribution network to the clients and end consumers. What does success look like for for everybody? What does everybody contribute to that? And sort of reimagining how that value chain, how it's managed, and how it's led. Mm. It's led, and I think the leadership component is becoming more important. There's this concept of interdependent leadership, interdependence amongst all the players, all the partners across the value chain is one of the major major concepts. You know, mm. We often Kind of gone from this this perspective of a hub and spoke. I kind of my company sits at, at the middle. I've got suppliers and I've got clients and that sort of thing, and I do my thing. And now it's it's, it's sort of concentric circles of interdependence that we need to learn how to manage and how to lead. And that's you know, a shift towards interdependent leadership. I think that's one of the, the keys that I'm seeing, which is really difficult and quite a big mindset shift in itself, isn't it? If you keep it within the given structures. I mean, Jim, you touched that when you said we were trying to work out what they were doing from what we knew. And you also touched on it when, you know, people are trying to figure things out before they get there so that they can show that they know. What else are you seeing coming from your research in terms of this leadership strand, which is massive? I I agree, David, around having to lead interdependently. I mean, there's a lot in there and we could do a whole different podcast on it. But what what are the main themes you're seeing? Well, one of the things that I'm very excited about we're doing a lot of work on right now is measurement. And I can encapsulate that with what I was chartered with doing or asked to do charges to do by the chairman of uh, one of the larger microfinance banks in the world recently. He said, listen, I also have stakeholders as the chairman of the whole thing mm. that I have to report to and, you know, noisemakers, regulators, all that stuff. But my investors and my board are a big one. And the challenge that I have is we completely believe this and we act this way and, and it's clear to see throughout our organization, we're a great place to work. We, we care about all this stuff. But the feedback that we give ourselves in the universe is all on the financial. The rigor mm. and the auditability of it is all on the financial and operational side. Yeah. So we know exactly how many trips we made to clients. We know exactly how many you know, dollars or, or monetary units are outstanding. We know exactly how many people are paying back at any given moment. But what do our customers want? What do our employees want? What do our the communities want? We kind of do stories and we kind of have anecdotal data. And so what he chartered me to do was he said, we've got to come up with as robust a way of telling that story as the other. Because when we don't, even for the groups that want to do what we're talking about, and can lead from a new mindset. Is that at the end of the day, I have to make money for this for my investors. Of course. And so mm. the only indicators I have are financial and operational. Then I and I don't and the other stuff is nice. Mm. And I have to cut the nice to get the results. But if we could have a robust story across the whole system, then I could um, change the narrative. So we call that changing the narrative from you know stuff we measure and stuff that's nice. To it's all critical, and we we show that it's critical because we actually pay attention, we actually ask, we actually engage them, we actually assess things, and we do that in a robust way so that it's one system that we're looking at, not you know, mm. not operational, financial, and people. Mm. And so and just what that's a critical mm. thing. 
And just while we're on measurement, I love the, in your article, you both talk about the TVG, which which I really love, like the total value generated. And it comes back to David's point, the fact that you complete, you're creating value completely differently and end-to-end across across a system that maybe doesn't work together. Could maybe you just walk us through the idea of TVG and what it's actually measuring? Because for me, this answers a question, two questions. One about value that we always get, well, what do you mean value? How do you define it? And two, how do you measure the softer side of ecosystems? So it'd be great if you could walk us a little bit through the TVG indicator and how you got there. <laughs> Perfect. So I can do that briefly and then love you to jump in too, Dave. So the idea with total value generated or TVG is that is the ecosystem that we're in, all the interactions that we have, we call those stakeholders, but all the people that we interact, are they better because we're here, um, because they're interacting with us? And it turns out that's a very difficult question to ask from a certain mindset and mm. from a different mindset, it's easy to ask. And what that allows us to do is to ask two questions. For each of our key stakeholders, well, who do we think they are and who are we engaging? And then how do they define value, not how we define value for them? Mm. And then how do they define value? And, and right now we're just keeping it relatively simple on, on their experience and their outputs. Okay. So what are they measuring for their success in outputs or activities? And what are they measuring in their experience that they're having? Mm. And there's a lot of rigor in the last 50 years on how to measure in an auditable way that you can defend um, financial movement and um, activities in your operations. So then he said, okay, well, then are you actually making more money? Are you more efficient and effective in what you're doing as a key stakeholder? So we can measure some of those objective things based on their criteria mm. and their experience. So subjective measurements of well-being and stuff. There's been a lot of work done by Dave's group and a lot of groups around the world in the last couple of decades around doing that robustly. But the point is we're, we're, we're measuring for them. What is your experience and your outcomes? And are you better off? And that's the second piece that in total value generated is really critical is what is the baseline? And what we're finding in the definitions, and this gets into the math and other stuff, but is in the definitions of how we think about success from the organization's perspective of like profits or return on mm. investment, there's an assumption of zero for the other people. So we're, if I give you a $100 loan, then you're better off than zero. Mm. But I'm not asking the question, are you better off than you're, than if I weren't there? So what else would you do? And we talk about like opportunity cost, but what would what is your baseline? And are you better off interacting with me or better off interacting with somebody else? If you're making a salary and I'm paying you, it's not from better than zero. It's better than what you could make in your local market with your skill sets. Am I paying you better than that so that mm. you're better off? So anyway, so with all of that, we can start to say from their baseline, based on their definition of what value looks like, are we adding value because of the way that we interact? And so it changes the whole optimization question mm. and it changes who's involved in deciding that. And we found lots of examples of people who are able to prove that they generate value for everybody. Everybody in the system is better off because they're there. But yeah. most of what we teach ends up saying, well, a couple of people are better off because we extracted a lot of value from everybody else. Everybody else is worse off, but a couple of them are better off. Mm. And we don't pay attention. No. And it's a great idea of the total value generated. It's a great question, though, isn't it? Are you better off because you're interacting with me? And what's the value of our relationships? Because for me, relationships are the currency of systems. Whatever system we're talking about, we happen to be talking about ecosystems here, organizational ones, but any societal ecosystem. David, what's your take on TVG? And 
Yeah, so I, I, I love the concept, right? Because it's, just, mm. it's so much more expansive and so much more robust than perhaps what we've been used to. And you spoke about relationship, both of you. What are relationships like as we're generating value together, right? And I mm. think that's, that's one of the crucial things. Is how, do we, how do we come together and have people and organizations do that sort of thing? It's, it's so easy to speak about interdependent, collaborative interactions and leadership, but how do we do that? And in, from an ecosystem perspective, I think there's some really interesting research coming from the professional networking field, which mm. you know, speaks about the, what, what are the, the main factors of effective networks when we speak about ecosystem and, and networking within those ecosystems, some of the main factors of effective uh, networks, right? Mm. You know that effective networks professionally, they need to be open, they need to be diverse with deep relationships with, mm. with certain partners, right? And so what I'm seeing is more and more focused on, on building these deep relationships. Once we've identified who those ecosystem partners are, that, that you know, my main interest is in the health of those people and their interest is in my health as well, how do we sort of interact? And so the research is showing us that the, to build these deep relationships in, in the networks and in the ecosystems, there are three crucial factors. Others as well, but three crucial. One, reciprocity. Mm -hmm. I have to really believe that uh, Susie and Jim, that you have my best interest at heart and you have to believe that I have your best interest at heart. Mm -hmm. When that reciprocity exists, then, you know, and, and that takes time to build a reciprocity, um, then we can actually come together and do things. And, and then trust, right? So after reciprocity, once I really believe and you believe that we're in this together, building the trust. And, you know, we know that trust is built. How is it built? It's built day to day, week by week, month by month, year by year. So this takes, it takes quite a bit of time to build the, the trust in those ecosystems. And that is related to frequency. How frequently do we interact with each other? How do we get together with enough frequency so that we're building the trust and ensuring this reciprocity? So speaking about these deep relationships, which I think is important more and more, important you know before it was i've got my stakeholders and i have to kind of figure out how to work with my stakeholders now it's much more about how do i take care of the health of my partners and and those deep relationships i think are becoming more and more important and mm. i think people are experiencing they're, they're seeing that mm. and i think that's again a very different starting point isn't it and a very different mindset in terms of looking at where people can thrive and you've mentioned quite a lot of health healthy ecosystems we'll come back to that in a minute but before we do also where people can flourish. And Jim, I know you've done a lot of work around the sort of abundance-based flourishing in ecosystems and in systems. Could you give us your definition of flourishing before we go into discussing what healthy systems may look like? Excellent. So, yeah, so we're working on flourishing and another group we call it thriving. But the idea is whole human well-being. Mm -hmm. And to the kinds of things that David and you were talking about, if you want people to show up and actually contribute, then uh, the being, the person shows up and there are multiple attributes of this. So just dealing with my thinking, but not the others doesn't work. Yeah. So we've worked on is coming up with a pretty basic definition to say, can we at least agree that there's a physical human being, there's a mental part of you, there's a relational or social part of you. And so the physical, mental, social, and that there's a spiritual or moral or ethical part of mm. you. Mm, um, and there are many other dimensions that a lot of folks do, but can we at least agree that we're going to assess all of those and one human being? And the, the, the flourishing program, you know, we're, that's what we're measuring. And then we're also starting to look at what are some of the things that influence that on a global basis. But it's saying in everything that we do in business, organizational strategy, as well as public health and epidemiology, those things, when we're looking at an intervention, can we see how it affects all four of those dimensions for the people that are involved, mm. at least 
I, I love the fact that we're opening the dialogue around all those four dimensions. Because if I come back to something David said at the beginning, you know, about, you know, the finite resources and it being quite a binary concept of, of the ordered world. And now we are entering into the multifaceted part of being a human being and actually taking that on board. Because, as you know, I work a lot in inclusion and, and belonging. And of course, that's bringing your whole self to work, which is this exact discussion around what do I need to flourish, which is probably quite different from what you need to flourish, Jim, or what you need to flourish, David. But it doesn't mean we can't work together and, and we can't collaborate. So I think inclusive systems are a must for healthy, I'm going to use the word healthy, we'll come to it in a minute, healthy healthy ecosystems. But before we talk about how we define healthy ecosystems and how we almost measure that, what do you think that does for competitive advantages? If, if I come back to interdependent leadership and the world is just getting smaller and smaller in terms of connection, isn't it? Because we're getting more and more connected. What does competitive advantage look like for both of you from your research, from your experience, from what you're seeing in a healthy ecosystem? How would you be measuring it, David? Yeah, well, that's, that's a big question, the measurement side of things. But what, what will it look like? Like I said before, I, I'm imagining the, the collaborative advantage. So that mm. means that we take a look at each one of those uh, the players, partners in, in, in the value chain. They have something to contribute, which is special, something to contribute, with, which has a value proposition, uh, which is then built on and enhanced by the other players, right? Mm. So I'm thinking about some work I've been doing in the in the chocolate industry, right? And it, it, very much around sustainability. So how do we take mm-hmm. a look from a sustainability perspective and starting to measure sustainability and measure uh, some of the, the, the primary factors of triple bottom line and that sort of thing? We have to take this very expansive view of the value chain and say, okay, we need to make some some changes. If we're going to be profitable, as well as prosperous, uh, as well as sustainable across the value chain, some, some fundamental changes have to, have to happen. So you know, we have to go back to the very beginning. What about the farmers? What does mm-hmm. success look like for a farmer? And what does the farmer contribute from a value perspective that we're going to be able to build upon so that that farmer can flourish and add you know, something to the, to the value chain? Mm-hmm. What about the cooperatives where the farmers are actually engaged, right? What, what what will success look like for the cooperatives and how do they add some sort of value which enhances what we're doing? Uh, what about our suppliers and the different suppliers and, and how do they measure up from a sustainability perspective mm. and how to select those suppliers that actually are, you know, they have a lower carbon footprint or whatever that, that might be that contributes and they're adding something special and that just kind of builds a little bit more value. And then internally, how do we organize ourselves from a sustainability mm. perspective to add value? Our distribution network as well our clients, the consumers. And so taking a look at from, from start to finish, how each one of those players, partners, adds something special that contributes to the value proposition mm. is crucial. And it's becoming much more complex, much more interesting. Yeah. And, and, and that collaborative advantage, I think we're starting to see the organizations that are able to division that and then do something to manage that value chain from a much different perspective. We're seeing them becoming you know, more and more competitive more and more sustainable with you know futures that look more and more bright. Now measuring that's a that's a trick. And uh, we are seeing there are there are very hard measures these days, which we can go to some of them around profitability, of course, that's the easy one. Others are on other sustainability measures. And we're seeing you know much more attention being paid to to you know real costs, mm. real profits, real values, and coming down to the to the numbers to, to back that up. And there are you know, investment funds that are paying more attention to that. Certainly the markets are paying much more attention to that. Regulatory mm-hmm. agencies are paying much more attention to that. And I think that all contributes to how we'll get to a system of measurement 
have that, that total value proposition. Mm, hence the TBG discussion exactly. around, you know, what exactly we're measuring and why. Jim, what are you seeing in terms of competitive advantage in your research and clients? I'm remembering, because I'm looking at David and we studied together business school in Barcelona back in the early 90s. The thing that was sort of big on topic then was Michael Porter's insight that it's that people believe that it was either quality or cost. Yeah. Yeah, high, high quality and or low cost. And what he showed was that's not true. You're thinking about it wrong. He said the higher quality you have in the process, you can actually lower costs and be more efficient. So it's not a trade-off. Mm. I see that today we have a similar thing. Is that are you looking at your competitive intensity of your local ecosystem, your local supply chain, or are you looking at the collaborative intensity of your capacity to do that? And if you think of that like a two by two, then that what we teach traditionally in the business school is it's all about the competitive. So like Porter's five forces of mm. Mm. out everybody's trying to attack your profits. What do you got to do to continue to be viable by setting up barriers or what you can? to continue to get your blood out of the system. Yeah. And that sacrifices collaboration completely. But then there's the flip side of, well, don't do any of that competitive stuff. Um, It's all about collaboration and loving everybody and including everybody. Mm. But but then there's no way to say, yeah, but I also have to live. Yes. Yeah. So what we're finding is that these groups are figuring out how to both simultaneously increase the competitive intensity and collaborative intensity by doing what David said a few minutes ago. If I actually believe that my eco, that I depend on the nutrient soil that I'm trying to grow in, mm. right? if my customers and suppliers and all those aren't healthy, then I'm not going to get any value with them mm. from, right? So they got to be healthy. Um, so I can start to think of, they each have their five forces. A competitive intensity way of thinking of that is when I'm thinking about what I said about, am I generating value? Are you perceiving value in your interactions with me, then you're also getting profits. You're also yes. doing well. Um, so that, that's the competitive intensity, but it, we're doing it collaboratively. Mm. So together, we're looking at solutions that systemically we can we can come up with, like what you two are describing, and um, we can come up with something together that on our own, we can't, right? And so if we can bring our creativity to it, he said, oh, well, for you to be able to get that, there are things that I can do that are very easy for me to do. Mm. And I'll give you one, for example, um, you're really interested in your, at, at a national level, you're very interested in having schools in your area, but they're very expensive to build or power lines or roads. And what we're doing in the energy industry is we mostly build infrastructure to get to the energy, but we have a massive infrastructure building facility, right? Or part of our business. So we could do that different in a different way that benefits you far more than getting it another way. But mm. That requires a collaborative understanding, working together, so much more intense collaboration to be able to see what the competitive intensity brings. And then from an ecosystem perspective, we're much more competitive because we're more stable. Mm. We have multiple sources of revenue um, and more efficient costs because of the way we're working with the system, not against it. Mm. And, and if I look at your framework, the framework that you put in your article around from whether a company is viable right up to survivable, uh, which is very interesting in terms of getting them to understand where they are on that process, is collaboration the lever there to go from one level to the next? And is it the only lever that they have? That's a great question. And so the direct answer is it probably involves all the stuff that we're talking about, a mindset mm-hmm. shift. Mm-hmm. What we find is sort of the opposite. If you're only thinking about yourself, 
then all of the interactions that re- that are required to be able to find different revenue sources, the stability of revenue sources so that you have greater resilience mm-hmm. when the system changes, um, that requires being able to work with others who have access to those resources or have access to that way of doing things. So if there's a downturn in the industry and we have to shut a factory, well, then where are we going to get it? Oh, well, we could get it a different way. But that requires relationships in our in our community, in our ecosystem. Mm. So when I don't have those, um, it makes it very difficult to even remain viable. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always begging and trying to figure out where I'm going to extract money from. And then I extract it from somebody, but then I can't go back to them. Right. So there was a downturn and I squeezed all my suppliers. And then now there's an upturn and I need them to take on some of the risk. And they're like, with you, forget it. <laughs> right. I don't forget that easily. Mm-hmm. It's just if I have those relationships, I don't have those issues. Um, so I'm able to think more about the stability of the flows, not just do we have enough, and then our resilience of, and are there multiple kinds of ways that we can respond mm. um, and, and opportunities for growth and innovation, those kinds of things. It's interesting because I looked at that scale from viability to survivability, and then I thought, okay, if I want to create a healthy eco- ecosystem that is clearly sustainable, would I go through that process, or is is there something behind that do i have to go through all those steps to get to survivability it would be interesting if if you could just walk us through that process and what you're seeing both of you around how companies come to a healthy ecosystem how they create that intentionally i'm i'm talking about so i'm on the hypothesis that they want to do it and they're trying to get there so i'll give the short answer and then dave can, <laughs> if we can fill it in um the the short answer is that it's not a it's not a step two if you're in what we call the survivability or resilience realm, then you have the stability and the viability. Okay. The math of it is very simple. It's viability is, do I have enough in the bucket? Right. So there's a bucket and do I have enough net resource in here to be able to pay for the things I need to pay for? People and livelihood. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I look at my outflow rate and do I have enough to cover my next outflow? And so that's payroll or whatever it is that meet my accounts payable. The stability is I have the balance of my net, my inflows are covering my outflows, right? And so then I, I know that I have enough in dedicated resources or buckets to my inflows to cover my outflows. Mm. So that's a very different kind of thinking, of looking across the whole value chain that David was talking about. Um, and that ten, those tend to be questions that are held in very different groups. How much we have might be accounting and finance. Um, our inflows might be sales. And then our outflows are more production or HR or things like that. Mm. So they versus a group that's looking across that whole system. But if you have the stability, then you're making sure that you have enough in the bucket. Mm. And the and the resilience is saying, okay, there can be multiple ways that we can get those inflows and outflows. So there are multiple a, a more expanded business model. There's more flexibility in what we're doing. If there are downturns or upturns, you know, we can play it in different ways. And that's because we have the flexibility in our relationships. I mean, the kinds of relationships that we can bring in that we can flex. But that requires being in relationships far more than just looking at our inflows and outflows. Mm. The point is, coming from that perspective, then you have the stability and viability already because you have enough in the bucket and insurance that you have then. But that was the long, short answer. <laughs> Dave, what do you, David? What do you think? Are you going to give us a short, long answer, David? <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. I've, I've got some ideas about it. But I think I might throw this over to you, Susie, because this has so much to do about creating systems, uh, human systems, right? How we create human mm-hmm. systems and get people to start to come together. And I think we've advanced quite a bit on that internally in organizations, but now doing it across 
organizations and across ecosystem partners, and you're such an expert in you know crafting <laughs> human systems. Like I said, I've got some ideas, but I want to kind of see what do you think about that? How do you craft the the way to 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 bring that all together? Well, I think it's interesting because when I looked at the framework, that was my first question. It was like, do you need to go step by step to get to survivability? Which I've equaled with flourishing in my mind. I don't know if that's how you how you put it together or not. But survivability sounds a little bit like a struggle, but it for me it's not. It's flourishing. You've got to somewhere where it's regenerative, where people can be themselves, where you can. And I thought, well, if I put that onto what I do uh, in connecting human systems, there are always various different levels of maturity, and therefore I've sort of answered my own question, I suppose, if I take it from my lens, it, it, which is you can have people who've already starting at step three or step two. Or, but you're, you're right, Jim. If I look at the people at step three, they've already understood and integrated steps one and two in terms of viability and stability. I think my big question around, around the human systems thing is how do you scale it? Mm. So how do you scale relationship maturity? And especially in the in today's world where there's quite a lot of mergers and acquisitions and business models are different and you've got platform business models and, you know, how do you make sure that the whole of your healthy ecosystem is at a level three. And that, that was my interrogation as I read through it. And I was thinking, wow, yeah, that's a very interesting question in human systems. Do you intentionally create those interdependent skill sets so that you can, with the tangible objective of moving from viability to survivability? Mm-hmm. And it was that was my question was, was it built like that from, from your, yeah. your perspective? And and. If it was, what's the research behind it? What made you think like that? Yeah, that's that's my thoughts on human systems. I think they can scale quite quickly if you have the right mindset and the right relationships. You can actually get a wow effect as it as it just sort of scales out of control, but in a good way. And you're thinking, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, this is this is what systems thinking is about. This is what healthy systems are about. Yeah, our experience at the Center for Creative Leadership is there is a bit of a step by step process mm. to get through which some of those steps you can go through quite quickly or not, depending mm-hmm. on where the ecosystem partners stand, right? So we're really speaking about transforming relationships in an ecosystem. Yes. Like traditional yeah. business model to a network ecosystem approach. And that's a major transformation, right? Yeah, huge. And we do know that any major transformation requires something. We speak about quite a bit about boundary spanning. How yeah. do we spin boundaries and how do we lead across different boundaries, mm-hmm. whether it be internal boundaries within the organization, horizontal or vertical boundaries, whether they be external uh, boundaries or demographic boundaries, whatever those are, and there's a bit of a step-by-step process there. I mean, the, the first sort of the first step in bringing together different organizations and getting them to work together in, in, in partnership and ecosystems is interesting. That was kind of managing the boundaries, delineating mm. who does what, understanding who does what, and making sure that there's a sense of of, of respect and trust. Right? As uh, 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 so mm. now that I understand you, you understand me. There's a base level of respect. And trust, and then we can go to the next step, which is starting to create some common ground, some commonalities. Understanding, okay, when we come together, what can we do differently? How could we do it differently? What can each one contribute to that? And how can we interact in much more productive, positive ways? Mm. And then we go to the third stage, which is is really about transformation. And okay, what can we actually do together, totally differently, that would disrupt the sector, that would whatever make up a special and different. And my experience has been I've been brought into organizations, you know, quite often saying, let's let, we need to transform. Just get people together to, to collaborate with other people and, and transform efforts. No, 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 wait. There's a step by step. First, we develop some trust, then some commonality, 
then we can start the transformation process. Mm. And, and as you were saying, Susie, sometimes those phases can be fast or slow, mm. depending on where the people stand. And we, what we can't do is skip the process. We can't go straight no. to transformation. We can't go straight to flourishing until we've really understood you know, and, and, and respected and generated those commonalities, that mm. underlying way to work together. That's been mm. our I just think that's that in itself, because humans are in in exact science. That in itself is is a process, isn't it? And it's a sort of regenerative process. Sometimes it'll work really well, other times it won't for lots of lots of different reasons. So, you know, the title of the article that you co-authored, leading towards healthy ecosystems, places where people can flourish. What would your recommendations be to our listeners that are looking to intentionally craft? either strategy or behaviors with their teams that could lead them to creating this system of improved relationships and different ways of thinking about what they produce and how they produce it. What do you say, Dave? So recommendations about that. So mm. Again, we, we did, let's start at the beginning, which is a mindset shift and recognizing mm. this will be a mindset shift and getting on board about that. Mm. We, we spoke oftentimes these days about a transformation and having to have a growth mindset, right? Mm. And that's just not that natural to, to many of us. Really not. <laughs> so let's start with that and let's help people get into the right mindset mm. so that these ideas, the concepts land, and we can then create strategy together that, that's going to make sense. You know, it's going to be robust that we can actually implement on. It's one of my big things, right? We often craft these strategies that look so good on paper, but implementation can now to the people, right? And are your people ready? Do we really have the right people? Interacting in the right ways, developing themselves so that they can accompany us in this in this uh, strategic transformation process, and so this is where the strategy and leadership come together. So, I guess one of my recommendations would be, of course, craft a winning collaborative strategy, and at the same time, hand in hand with that, craft a winning leadership strategy that brings people from the different organizations together and, and starts to generate that that uh, interdependent collaborative culture, which has to be very conscious and, and specific and steps taken to create the culture that sets people up for success with this new approach to the the ecosystems. Mm. So they all have to be bought in and understand what it means for them as leaders and for their behavior. Yeah. And, and, you know, change is such a a major part of this. People's orientation towards change and ensuring that we are leading people through the change process Mm. and and accompanying people through the change process and, you know, taking through that that change curve, which we, we know can oftentimes be a bit bumpier than we anticipate. And anticipating that and making sure mm. that we're preparing, preparing the, the soil, right? Making sure mm. that it's soil and people actually can come and bring their best when things get a little bit tough because they mm. do, they do yeah. get tough ecosystems. Yeah, it's not an easy ride, is it? But that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you, David. Jim, I'm going to finish on your final thoughts and recommendation. To be able to take on what David was just saying, I find it useful to know where we're starting from. Mm. And so, and CCL and a bunch of groups have developed a lot of ways of assessing this. But part of that is the mindset, are you going to be comfortable with understanding where you actually are? And then what are you trying to do? And are you really up for making that change? Right? And what is that going to require of us? And and I think to, there, there are two fun things that happen. One is, you know, we're not as good as our anecdotes were across the whole system. Maybe mm-hmm. there are pockets where we are and others where we're not. And are we serious about this? Because if we're not, then we're not going to ever build up those three elements that David was talking about versus saying, you know, we're serious about this and we've got to look at how healthy we are. You know, so if I'm going to run a marathon, am I not able to get off the couch? 
am I already walking three or four miles a day? You know, those mm. are very states. Mm. Um, but the second thing that's exciting is to start discovering the pockets of flourishing of survivability or resilience that already exists within our own organization. And that to me has been some of the funnest stuff is to start finding pockets in the most unsuspecting places to say, people in your own organization have already figured out how yeah. to do this. Yeah. And so we don't have to customize this for you. They've already done a lot of that work for us. So we can, that doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody in scale across, but that we can start to look for how are we actually doing today? Where do we need to be? And are there pockets of people with our groups within our organization that are already doing something towards where we want to be? Um, and, and groups that are very far away from it. So it's not homogenous across the whole community, mm. the whole organization. Mm. I mean, there can be lessons learned about how to take this on and make those kinds of shifts mm. where we actually stand and being comfortable and, and looking at where you actually are yeah. and where you need to be. That's, that's mm. great. And really looking into your system and and often discovering stuff that works really well that that you just isn't visible. So. Yeah, I mean, my, the, the quick example I gave you a couple of times ago was, you know, at, in this bank, say they have 4 million customers and they're in groups of 20 to 25. So you've got 150,000 groups of 25 people that are meeting every week or two. Wow. Um, and in, in our initial survey and initial interviews, I think about 10% of them are way off the charts doing stuff that you don't know how to measure. Yeah, yeah. But that's 15,000 groups that are doing something very cool. And in PepsiCo, we found similar things. In the military, we've found similar things. Mm. So in most unsuspecting places, you could have to say, people are pretty cool and people are pretty creative. So yeah. maybe in that distribution, you actually have people that are figuring some of this out, but you have to be able to willing to do the diagnostic and listen and inquire and all that stuff. So mm. yeah, let me just jump in because I, I think that's one of the big opportunities and one of the big challenges is this uh, ecosystem approach is that oftentimes as Jim was saying, the most creative solutions are happening on the fringe, right? Yeah, yeah, happening yeah. on the fringe. How do we capture that and bring it into the core? This is a concept we work with quite a bit at CCL, but fringes to core, fringes to core, right? Yeah. Certain things on the fringe that do need to become part of the core of the organization. And the, and the core of the organization tends to resist that, doesn't it? So this is, yeah. this is the huge opportunities and, and big challenges as well, managing that fringes to core sort yeah. of place. These ecosystems. Yeah, it's really important. The voices that aren't heard as much or that aren't heard at all because they're doing interesting stuff under the radar. <laughs> so go and find them. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for a brilliant conversation, both of you, and for sharing your anecdotes and your expertise and your research. Where can people find out more about you, Jim? Let's start with you about you and what you do and the research we've talked about. So if you look up Institute for Strategic Clarity, then you'll find a lot of case studies, a lot of access to our publications, a lot. Of, we have a video library, uh, a knowledge base of all the cases, or you can look up Thriving from Work and you'll find our work at the Center for Work, Health and Wellbeing at Harvard, or you can look up Human Flourishing at Harvard. And there's a whole bunch of publications and things that we're measuring and showing within the workforce at different levels and what we're finding. So uh, any one of those are easy to find. Um, or I look up Richie Dunham. I'm the only one on the planet hyphenated. So. <laughs> Okay, excellent. I'll do that. And I'll also put those links in the show notes so that they can find them more easily. David, where can we find out more about you and what you do and your research? Definitely a, a few different sources. One at the Institute for Strategic Clarity. I collaborate with Jim as a research associate there. So uh, the, the, the Institute's doing wonderful work as he was just mm. And of course, at the Center for Creative Leadership, where I'm a senior faculty member at cco.org. And we have you know, quite a bit of, of resources open to the public. Uh, white papers and articles that I think you'll find quite interesting. 
And then probably the, the most interesting way to anybody who wants to connect with me is to come to Barcelona. And, uh, <laughs> let's have a, have a coffee together. So I'm on LinkedIn. So feel free to let me know if you're going to be in Barcelona. Okay. A place to visit. Uh, I'll let our listeners, those who want to come to Barcelona, get in touch with you then. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks for a great conversation. Thanks a lot, Susan. Thank you, Susan. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode and the insights and learning it gave you. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation. Transformation.